One night, Linda and I were home watching television together. And as we were, after a while, she stood up and said, I, I want something sweet. So she went into the kitchen. I watched her out of the corner of my eye because that is not familiar territory to her. And so she gets the ingredients together. She has a little flour and some other things there. I'm not sure what all it was, but I was just watching her. And then after a while, I could tell that she was making a pie shell. And she took the uh, dough and pressed it into the pie pan. And she came back in, and she put it in the oven, came back over and sat down. We watched television for a while. And then when the pie shell was supposed to be done, she got up and walked over to the oven, opened it up, took it out. And I'm still watching her. She gets a can of cherries and opens the top of it and pours the cherries in there. And then she gets some of the dough and she crumbles it up and sprinkles it on the top. And then she got a five-pound bag of sugar and she goes, Shh. Now, that was going to be sweet. And she looked over at me and I'm looking at her and I said, What is it? She said, Ah, it's a cherry crumb surprise. I said, Oh. So she cooked it, and then after she cooked it, she got a spoon, took it out of the oven, got a spoon. She took a bite of it. She took one bite, and she went over and threw it in the trash and came back, and we watched television. Well, I was thinking about that because God did not provide cherry crumb surprise for the Hebrews, but he did provide manna for them. And when he provided manna, the question of the Hebrews was, what is it? The reason that uh, manna is important to us is because it represents Jesus. Now, the Bible tells us in John chapter 5, verse 39, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is these that bear witness of me. You see, there are many types or there are many pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament, and manna is simply one of them. Manna is a picture of Jesus. First of all, it came from above, just as Jesus came from above. And it came to where they were. The, the manna did not come somewhere else. It came to where the Hebrews were, and Jesus came to where we were spiritually. The Bible tells us that we were sinners. We are sinners. And the Scripture says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So then Jesus came to where we were spiritually. He did not wait for us to clean up our lives and then come to us at that place. But He came to us where we were. So one of the pictures in the Old Testament of Jesus is manna. Another, of course, is the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb was to be perfect. It was to be without blemish. And Jesus was perfect. He was without blemish. The Passover lamb's blood was shed. And as a result, a result of the shedding of the blood, the people were saved. And the Bible tells us that as a result of the shed blood of Jesus, that we are saved. We are cleansed by his, his shed blood. So the Passover lamb, then, is a picture of Jesus. Isaac was a picture of Jesus as the father was going to sacrifice him. The 
the feast, many of the feasts in the Bible, they are, they are pictures of Jesus. So the point that I want you to see with me is that the reason manna was important is because it represents Jesus. So we're going to look at that today in Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse number 1. Then they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether or not they will walk in my instruction. And it will come about on the sixth day. When they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumblings against the Lord, and what are we that you grumble against us? All right, so that is our text. There are three or four things I want you to see with me as we look at our text. First of all, the Bible says that they set out, there in verse number one, then they set out from Elam. So they set out for the promised land. Now, let's remind ourselves as to who these people are, who they were. These were the Hebrews. They were the chosen people of God. The Jews are the chosen people of God. And so the Bible says in Deuteronomy 10:15, Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them. And he chose their descendants after them, even you above all people. So when we're talking about these people who set out, they were the Jews, the chosen people of God. But to be the chosen people of God does not mean that they were simply chosen for special blessings, but there also were responsibilities that went along with it. That there were requirements that went along with it. So the scripture says in Deuteronomy 10:12, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him? And to serve the Lord with your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So here are the requirements. He said, first of all, you are to fear God. So they were the chosen people, but they were to reverence God. They were to worship God, to fear Him. He said, walk in His ways. As the people of God, they were to walk according to the ways of God, not according to the ways of the world. And then it says that they were to love Him. That was always a problem with the Hebrews. 
They would love the Lord and walk in His ways for a period of time, and then they would turn to pagan gods, to idolatry, to all of that, and so they would stray away from the Lord. But He says that you are to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. But they always struggle with that. Do you ever struggle with that? We are to love the Lord with all of our hearts. Love the Lord with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And they always struggle with that. And then the Bible says that they were to serve Him. So, they were chosen by God. These are the chosen people. Now, you know the story that even though they were chosen, they became slaves of Egypt. When they were in slavery, because of the harshness of the taskmasters, the Bible says that they began to cry out to God, asking God for deliverance. And the Lord heard their cry. And it was at the burning bush that the Lord went, met with Moses and said, Now, Moses, I want you to go and lead my people out of bondage. And so the Lord then sent all the plagues that we read about. He sent the plagues to force Pharaoh to let the people go. Now, then God promised them that he was going to take them from bondage to a land that was flowing with milk and honey. Understand that they were the chosen people of God, but they were imperfect people. They were not perfect. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you, I'm assuming that most of you are saved and that you have been born again. You know the Lord, but knowing the Lord does not mean that you are a perfect people. Charles Spurgeon had a man in his church that loved to talk about his righteousness and how he, he had been sanctified and he was serving the Lord and that he was, he was living a, a, a life wholly committed to the Lord, that he irritated Spurgeon. Well, one time they were having uh, lunch together, and as they sat, sure enough, the man begins to talk about how spiritual he was and how righteous he was and how perfect he was and so forth. And it really got on Spurgeon's nerves, and so he reached over and got his glass of water and just doused the man with it. The man got up. He was angry. Uh, he was indignant. He began to say things uh, to Spurgeon. Spurgeon just sat there, and then he said, Ah, you see, the old man within you is not dead. He had simply fainted and could be revived with a glass of water. <laughs> well, these were imperfect people. They, they were not perfect, and we are not perfect. I also noticed that their arrival was delayed. You see there in verse 1, they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. So, when they left Egypt then to the promised land, they did not go in a straight path. They meandered for, literally, they ended up meandering for years. And when they came to the wilderness of sin, that was not a direct path to the promised land. So their, their arriving was delayed. It's sort of like us going to New York City. If you want to go to New York, you'd think you'd go out the airport, get on a plane, and go north. Oh, but you don't. You go out the airport, get on a plane, and you go south. You go to Atlanta, get on another plane, and then you go north. Well, that's sort of the way that it was with them. There was a lot of meandering as they are headed to the promised land. So, they set out on their journey. That's what we see to begin with. They set out on their journey. They have been in bondage. Now they have been freed. They set out on their bondage to go 
to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then the scripture says that they grumbled against Moses in verse number 2. And the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Can you imagine that? It has been estimated that perhaps there were as many as two million Jews being led to the promised land and all of them saying, are we there yet? I mean, no wonder, no wonder that Moses almost had a nervous breakdown as he's trying to lead these people to uh, the promised land. But you know, I, as, I, as I thought through this about people who grumble, we can always find something to grumble about, can't we? We can, uh, maybe it's the traffic. And I say that because I have to confess to you, that's, that's one of the areas I struggle with. Uh, and especially whenever somebody is going slow in the passing lane. And I think, what in heaven's name are they doing? And I start grumbling and Linda starts getting nervous because she knows that I'm going to pull up too close behind them and all of that stuff. But, you know, you sort of grumble about that. And then if you get in a line, if I ever have to go shopping with her and you get in a line at your Target or somewhere, and I'm standing back there and I'm thinking, what's the deal? There's one register up there, there are three people over there. Why didn't somebody get over here and open another lane? You go to a restaurant and they take too long, you know, you look at them and they're back there talking, having a good time. You think, don't they know that I'm here? I mean, they seated me here. Why, why are they ignoring me? And so the, the point is there's always something to grumble about. In fact, uh, grumbling is the result of three problems. The first being a gratitude problem. We focus on things we don't like rather than be grateful for what we have. We, um, we think that our life is supposed to be filled with pleasure and never experience pain, that there is to be nothing but prosperity, never adversity. And so when our car breaks down, we grumble because our car breaks down rather than thank God that we have a car to break down. So there is the, uh, there is the problem that we have of gratitude. We, um, folks, let me tell you something. You can't grumble if you're grateful. You, you can't. If you're a person of gratitude, you're not going to be grumbling because you don't think you deserve what you got anyway. But whenever we lose our gratitude, then we begin to gripe. And then they had a perception problem. Oftentimes, our grumbling comes because we distort the facts. And that was true with the Hebrews. You'll notice there in verse number 3, And the sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. I think, whoa, wait a minute. These are slaves. These were people who were serving harsh taskmasters. But now then, as they think of the past, they think they were at a banquet. Oh, you remember when we used to sit around the banquet tables and they were full of bread and full of meat and we had everything to eat? So they exaggerated the past. Things were better than they really were. We also exaggerate the danger. In verse number 3, they continue, For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Folks, they were not about to starve to death. They had sheep and goats and cattle and other things. They weren't about to starve to death. 
Don't we do that sometimes? We exaggerate conditions and then we begin to grumble. I mean, you know, the economy is falling apart. My 401 has become a 201. I don't think I'm... We're probably going to all starve to death. Well, truth is, we're mostly on a diet. There's none of... You know, there's not probably not anybody here in danger of starving to death. But when we, when we begin to grumble, we do so because we exaggerate the past. We exaggerate the danger. We don't see things as they really are. And it was a problem that was contagious. You'll notice back in verse number 2, it says, And the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled. What had begun with a few spread to the entire congregation, and they all began to grumble. Now, you see that with the twelve spies. You remember... When they come to the edge of the promised land and they send in twelve spies to spy out the land, ten of them came back and they came back with a bad report. And the scripture says in Numbers 13, 32 and 33, So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out, is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Now, twelve spies went in to spy out the land. Two of them came back, Joshua and Caleb, with a good report, said the land is everything God said that it was. And we can go over and take the land because God has promised us the land. So two of them came back with a good report. Ten of them came back and said, oh, you should see the people over there. I mean, they're big. They are giants over there. And we look like grasshoppers in comparison. So they gave out a bad report to the people. Now, how did the, how did the congregation respond? Well, the Bible says that they wept. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 1, Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried out, and the people wept that night. So when these ten spies came back, saying, We're not going to be able to go into the promised land. The people over there are big, and we look like grasshoppers in their sight. The Bible says that all the congregation caught that negative attitude, and they wept that night. Then they decided they'd be better off to return to slavery, to Egypt. And in Numbers chapter 14, verse 4, So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. A grumbler always finds something to grumble about. And if you are a grumbler, you'll always find something to grumble about. Also, a grumbler always finds someone to blame for their misfortune. There's somebody at fault other than me. And here it was the leaders in verse number 2, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Now, they were grumbling about their leadership. They brought us out here to starve to death. You know what, though, the Bible says? The Bible says actually they were grumbling against God. In fact, if you look over in verse number 8, And Moses said, This will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full of the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against Him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. They were grumbling against Moses and Aaron 
But God says, no, you're actually grumbling against me. You remember that was the way that it began with Adam and Eve? Whenever they sinned against the Lord, they found someone to blame. Adam sinned. Who did he blame? He blamed his wife. I mean, that's when we have y'all. He blamed his wife. Lord, that woman. And then Eve sinned. Who did she blame? The serpent. But you know, they... Um, If you look at it, they actually were blaming God because Adam said, Lord, that woman whom thou gavest me, Lord, that's your fault. You gave me that woman. I didn't ask for her. She just showed up one day and you're the one who sent her here. It's your fault. And Eve was complaining about that snake, but who put the snake in the garden? It was God. So the fact is we grumble against God. Another thing about... um, Grumbling is that grumblers never satisfied. People who grumble are never satisfied. They were not satisfied with God's provision. The scripture says in Numbers eleven six, and now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. Now, the Bible says that God had provided the food for them, that it was angels' food. Did you know that? The manna was angel's food. The scripture says in Psalm 78, 24 and 25, And he rained down manna upon them to eat and gave them food from heaven. Man did eat the bread of angels. The Bible says that God's provision was the food of angels. Tasted like honey in verse number 31. And the house of Israel named it manna, and it was like coriander seed, white. His taste was like wafers. With honey, they ate angels' food and were dissatisfied. They ate food that the angels ate and didn't like it. And the Bible says in Numbers 11, the people would go up, uh, go about and gather it and grind it between two millstones or beat it in the mortar and boil it in the pot. And they made cakes with it. In other words, folks, they were sick of it. Can you imagine having manna three times a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year? Having manna. They were tired of manna. They had baked manna, fried manna, boiled manna, pickled manna, manna on the half shell. <laughs> For dessert, they had manna upside down pineapple cake. They had banana manna. They had a cookbook, a hundred and one ways to cook manna. And so they were tired of it. They were tired of the manna. And they didn't. They were dissatisfied. You know, and the reason is because they agreed they wanted something else. They wanted a Big Mac or a quarter pounder or something. But they were tired of manna. They were greedy. They wanted something else and they grumbled against God. Now, yesterday... When I was, uh, I was preparing for today, and, and I came over to, I want you to turn there with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and uh, look with me, because the Apostle Paul here is speaking about this event that we're reading about. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 5, he wrote, Nevertheless, with most of them, speaking of the Hebrews who are being taken to the Promised Land, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things happened as examples for us. So he said, these things that happened to them, they are supposed to serve as examples for you and me. 
that we should not crave evil things as they also craved, and do not be idolaters as some of them were, verse number 8, nor let us act immorally as some of them did, verse number 10, nor grumble as some of them did. They're on the way to the promised land, grumbling all the way. But grumblers always find something to grumble about. They always find someone to blame for their misfortune, and they are never satisfied. But you know what the Scripture says about this? It says, The Lord provided them with the manna to test them. The Lord's provisions sometimes are His means of testing. Look at verse number 4, back in Exodus 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. So the Bible says then that, that God gave them manna and instruction as to how they were to gather it for the purpose of testing them. How did they do? How did they do with their test? Not too good. If you look down at verse number 19... And Moses said to them, Let no man leave any of it until morning the manna. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul, and Moses was angry with them. God gave explicit instructions as to how they were to handle the manna. He said, You go out and pick up what you need for today, but not extra. He said, now, on the day before the Sabbath, you'll need to pick up manna. He says, and so you pick up two days' worth because you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So he said, get enough on that day so that you will have enough to get by. Well, what did they do? They tried to store it up. They didn't do good in the instruction of the Lord. God says, I've given them this to test them, and they they didn't do good. Do we trust in God? Do we really trust in His provision? Because manna was God's provision. Do we trust? See, we pray, give us this day, what? Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, meet my needs for today. Lord, provide for me today what I need. Do we trust Him to do that, or do we also fail the test? The manna was a test from God to see how they responded to his instruction. And then secondly, it was to reveal God's glory. Down in verse number 7, In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumblings against the Lord. The manna was going to reveal his glory. Now, how, how did that work? How was it that the manna was supposed to reveal the glory of God? I think it's this. Because it was God providing for his children. You know, sometimes they have those series on television, Deadbeat Dads. Guys who don't take care of their children. Folks, God takes care of His children. And so it revealed the glory of God because God takes care of His children. And Jesus is the provision for our salvation, but are we satisfied with Him? Jesus is the manna that is God's provision. Are you satisfied with Him or do you grumble about Him? Charles Spurgeon said the only difference between a Christian and a non-Christian 
he, he said that, that a Christian and a non-Christian are alike and that we both are beggars for bread. He said the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that the Christian has found the bakery. Jesus is God's provision for us. He is God's provision for every need that we have. So, let me conclude. What does Scripture teach us? Very briefly, I think the Scripture teaches us that God is our supply. That God is your supply. That was a great lesson for me to learn. I, I learned that lesson in the first little church that I pastored, that God is my supply. But we question His willingness or His ability to supply what we need. And that was true of the Hebrews. The Bible says in Psalm 78, 19, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? That was the question of the Hebrews. We are out here in the wilderness. We don't have anything. Can God provide a table in the wilderness? Can God provide? See, that's the question that we have, we struggle with. Is God able to meet my needs? Is God willing to meet my needs? God is our supply. And the Bible says that he meets our daily needs, just as he did for the Hebrews. Every day there was enough manna for the day. And every one of you here has what you need for today. Now, you might not have what you need for tomorrow, but it's not tomorrow yet. God provides for us today, and Christ is our manna provided by God. John 6:35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. My friend, if you have a spiritual hunger, Jesus is the bread of life for you. He is God's provision for you. If you have a spiritual thirst, Jesus will quench that thirst. But he is the manna who came down out of heaven to meet you right where you are, that you might be forgiven of sin and become a child of God. Have you ever done that? Have you accepted God's provision for your soul? Our Father in God, we come to a time of invitation, a time of consideration. And I pray, Lord, for those who have never trusted Christ. They have never accepted the manna from above. I pray, Lord, that today they, they would. Father, for those who are struggling, wondering how they're going to make it tomorrow, thank you that you've provided for today, and we trust that you'll provide tomorrow. Lord, for those who need a church home, I pray that they might feel welcome here in Christ's name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing. It's an opportunity for you to commit your life to Christ, to join the church. Our doors are open to you. I hope you'll come. Stand with me, please, as we stand. The staff will meet you as you come. Come right now.